presents First Years, a podcast for all but geared toward adult first-time readers of Harry Potter, who need a space to enjoy each book and have adult conversations about it. My name is Sarah, and I'm honored that you've allowed me on this journey with you. Crack open a butterbeer, grab a seat, and let's discuss. Today, we're talking about secret rebellious meetings. Welcome everybody to episode 54 of First Years. Today we're going over chapters 16 and 17 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. First, some house points news. Hufflepuff has 660 points. Slytherin has 275. Ravenclaw has 215. And Gryffindor has 200. So it's really anybody's game right now. We'll be doing house points through the end of the book, and then we'll do our house cup cocktails night for a final opportunity before we give out the prize for the house cup. As a reminder, you can earn house points by participating in our Mindful Magic Mondays. We pose a question every Monday on our Instagram at First Years Pod. All you have to do is answer the question and let me know your house, and you will earn house points. You can also earn points by participating in trivia in our stories on Wednesdays. I pose a few questions there. You get five points for participating and you get an additional five points for every correct answer you have. You can also earn more house points by rating and reviewing the podcast and leaving your name and Hogwarts house. I'll shout you out on here and you'll earn double house points. And before I forget, I need to give a special shout out to Zach from Belated Binge, who left a very kind review on iTunes. Zach, thank you so much. Um, You guys should check out Zach's podcast, uh, Belated Binge. I'll leave the info in the show notes. I guessed it on there. He guessed it over here. It's a great time. We had really awesome discussions. And Zach, you earned Ravenclaw extra house points. So well done. We left off last episode with Hermione suggesting that Harry needs to teach them defense against the dark arts and Harry pushing back because he's not this super talented wizard. It all just comes down to luck and help. (laughs) And he made the point that they don't really know what it's like. And Hermione basically said that that's why they need him. So Harry probably has a permanent scar on the back of his hand from Umbridge Ron is doing better at Quidditch, slowly but surely, and Hermione follows back up with Harry about teaching defense against the dark arts. And Harry seems to be more interested in the idea than he first lets on. He's secretly planning lessons and thinking about how it might not be such a crazy idea after all. And when they talk about it again, we find out that Hermione is still in contact with Victor Crumb. And he said that Harry knew how to do things even he didn't know how to do. So that's pretty impressive coming from someone who is years older than Harry and about to gra- and was about to graduate. Hermione also brings up the idea of teaching more than just her and Ron, but anyone 
who wants to learn, that it wouldn't be fair to hold it back from other people. And Harry says that a lot of people think he's crazy, but Hermione insists that a lot of people would be interested in hearing what he has to say. And she does end up being right. They end up meeting in the Hogshead during a Hogsmeade weekend, try saying that five times fast, and a whole bunch of people show up. And so we get another new location to experience, the Hogshead, which is kind of a shady bar that seems pretty dirty. And this is where Hagrid won Norbert in book one. What's your first impression of this place? What do you think of the patrons that normally come in here? At first, I think of this being, again, another up-level into the dangerousness of this book. We're no longer in the safe confines of the Three Broomsticks, which is more crowded and familiar, and everyone goes there. We're now branching out to a slightly more dangerous place to go against what's happening in Umbridge's class. Although Hermione says that she double and triple checked the rules about being here, you know Umbridge wouldn't be happy about what they're doing, which we see in the next chapter, but we'll get there. So a bunch of people come to hear about this, but what do you think about this? This concept that they might think he's crazy, but ultimately just want to know what happened. It says, quote, all of them, however, looked fixedly, even eagerly at Harry, unquote. I don't think it's out of character for a bunch of teenagers to want to know what happened last year, but if we think about it in the grand scheme of things, are they here to learn defense against the dark arts, or are they here to just hear Harry's experience? On the other hand, however, perhaps some of these people are supporters of Harry and want to justify their belief in him by hearing that Voldemort is actually back and Harry's experience the previous year. What do you think? Zachariah Smith is immediately unlikable, but I think his purpose is to show another perspective, someone who was on the fence about believing Harry or who didn't believe Harry and was skeptical, but was willing to be convinced because everyone else is pretty supportive of what Harry has accomplished and are impressed when they learn new things, like about his Patronus. Although Zacharias pushes back against everything, trying to find where Harry is going to slip up, ultimately he stays and wants to be taught by him. And what's funny here is that when they talk about how Fudge is afraid that the students could mobilize into an army, Luna says that that makes perfect sense because Fudge has his own army of heliopaths, which Hermione says don't actually exist although Luna rather defensively says that they do, and Hermione is too narrow-minded to believe in them. And isn't that interesting how Hermione can push back against this thing where there is no proof and yet also want people to take Harry seriously? We know as readers that Harry's experience is true, and yet according to Hermione just a few chapters ago, no one really saw the evidence of what occurred. They just heard the account from Harry and Dumbledore and then spent eight weeks reading the Daily Prophet. There is concrete evidence that Cedric was killed, but there isn't a lot of evidence about what went down in the graveyard because 
the Death Eaters are still at large and remaining hidden for the most part. You had Barty Crouch Jr., but he was killed. And then you had the cut on Harry's arm, but there's not concrete evidence about the cut itself that connects to Voldemort. I don't say this to discredit Harry or put more stock into Luna's heliopath army theory. I just think when we look at both of these instances, it's interesting to see where Hermione believes something and expects others to believe something and where she can completely discredit something and assume whoever believes it to be crazy. And Luna might be. We, we don't really know about whether or not heliopaths exist, right? We probably know for sure that Fudge doesn't have an army of them. But in the wizarding world with so many crazy creatures, we as readers can't specifically say that heliopaths probably don't exist. Amongst wizards, it may very well be like saying the earth is flat, but we don't have the insight into what's commonplace in the wizarding world to spot it. I just think it's interesting. At the end of the meeting, everyone signs the parchment and agrees to keep what they're doing a secret. We also find out at the end of this meeting that Ginny has a boyfriend and Ron is very upset about it. (laughs) They have been together since the Yule Ball and Ron says that he thought that Ginny fancied Harry, but Hermione says that she gave up on him months ago, which is why she's capable of talking to Harry now. And we also find out that Hermione definitely noticed Cho's behavior around Harry. She couldn't keep her eyes off of him. And I think this is big for this book. Last book, we were seeing Harry have a crush and everyone getting paired up for the ball. But now it's almost even more within reach. And we find out about Ginny having a boyfriend. So what do you think that means going forward in this book? Why is it important for us to find out that Ginny has a boyfriend? What do you think is going to happen between Harry and Cho? And was anyone shocked with how the next chapter started, or were you totally not surprised? The chapter starts off with Harry in a great mood. He's pleased by the turnout in the hogshead, and that no one really thought he was crazy, and they were impressed by everything he's done. And yet there's a new decree out from the High Inquisitor which disbands organizations, societies, teams, groups, and clubs, which are defined as anything that involves three or more students meeting on a regular schedule. They're not allowed to exist without the permission of the High Inquisitor, and you need to ask permission to reinstate existing organizations, societies, teams, groups, or clubs. And Harry immediately knows that she knows that there's no way for this to have been a coincidence. Someone must have told her or overheard them in the hog's head. And Ron and Harry go to tell Hermione, and we see something that we've never seen before. Boys aren't allowed in the girls' dorms. The stairs turn into a slide if you try, and it comes from an old-fashioned rule that girls are more trustworthy than boys. What do you think about this? We can't just ignore this detail. Do you think it's weird? Is it fair? Is it really protecting anyone? Just something to think about that I didn't want to not point out. 
They tell Hermione about the notice and she says that no one could have told Umbridge because she put a jinx on the parchment that everyone signed. And if someone did tell her, they would know immediately. And it's not just their group that's at stake, but the Quidditch teams too. So Harry needs to be on his best behavior so they can reform the team. So how do you guys think Umbridge knew about the meeting in the Hogshead? Do you think someone was there that then told Umbridge? Do you think she was there herself? In History of Magic, Hedwig arrives with a letter. However, she's hurt. Harry brings her to Grubbly Plank, and she thinks that someone might have attacked Hedwig. However, the main theory that McGonagall and Hermione seem to have is that Hedwig was probably intercepted, because this has never happened before, and they know that this was a possibility, which is why they've needed to be careful about what they say in letters. This is proof that that theory is real, and so is the risk of sending information that needs to be kept secret. In Potions, Umbridge inspects the class, and I just love the line, quote, Snape and Umbridge, the two teachers he hated most. It was hard to decide which he wanted to triumph over the other, unquote. Did you have a preference on which teacher you preferred to come out on top in this face-off? Umbridge questions whether the ministry would approve a strengthening solution being taught in class, which just plays into the idea that Fudge just doesn't want these students to know anything that would give them an advantage over him. Although it's not quite as entertaining as watching McGonagall handle Umbridge, it is pretty satisfying to see Snape get short with her and answer her questions with not very helpful answers. However, Harry's interest in what was going on cost him another day's assignment, and now he has to write an essay on the potion since he screwed up from being so distracted. The following class, we see Trelawney, who is very upset about her evaluation results. She's currently on probation. So now we know what the consequences are for not doing well during one of Umbridge's evaluations of a class wonder about this because is it just because Trelawney is who she is or because her forced prediction was unbelievable? Because like Trelawney said, which I'm inclined to agree with, you can't just ask for predictions on demand. That's not how any of this works. So would any divination teacher be put on probation if they weren't able to perform this skill on demand? What do you think? Do you think Fudge and the Ministry have it out for Divination too, like they do with Defense Against the Dark Arts? The letter that was intercepted was from Sirius, agreeing to meet them in the fireplace again, and he seems to be in a better mood than how they left their last conversation with him. And he already knows about the Defense Against the Dark Arts group they've been planning. One of the Order members was in the Hogshead overhearing them. And Sirius says they should have been in the three broomsticks because they would have had less of a chance to be overheard. Sirius relays a message from Molly Weasley, forbidding Ron from participating in the group because he'll be expelled and his future will be ruined, and that he'll have plenty of time to learn to defend himself after or outside of school. She also encourages Harry and Hermione the same, 
but knows that she can't actually enforce it with them. And that's interesting because yes, being expelled would ruin his future. That's why Harry's hearing was such a big deal in the beginning of this book. It would mean life ending as they know it, really. But at the same time, what does that say about how important owls are? If these are tests that dictate what jobs you can apply for, does failing it now have a future impact? Can any of them take it again in the future, maybe after learning these defensive spells? What do you think? Sirius, however, thinks the group is a great idea. He would have done the same. So would Harry's father. And Hermione asks about what if they do get expelled. And Sirius says, quote, better expelled and able to defend yourselves than sitting safely in school without a clue, unquote. So that's interesting because it points to the idea that you can get expelled and keep your wand. Do we think there are instances of that? Can you buy a new one if they take your old one? Because if we think about what he's saying, it's implied that they would have their wands. Because if they didn't, they wouldn't be able to defend themselves. So what do you think that would be about? Are there different rules for different expulsion reasons? Because that doesn't seem to be the case in regard to Azkaban. So why would this be any different? Sirius is helping them figure out where they can meet when they almost get caught. Whoever read Harry's mail ended up figuring it out. Sirius disappears and we're left seeing Umbridge's hand grasping at the fire, trying to catch Sirius. Although she's too late, thank goodness. So what do you think about that? That's pretty intense. How did she figure it out? Was she tipped off about the first time he visited Harry? Did she just have a lucky guess? What do you guys think? Let me know at firstyearspodcast at gmail.com, or you can connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at firstyearspod. Please remember that you can earn house points by participating in Mindful Magic Mondays and our trivia on Wednesdays. And you can also earn double the house points by rating and reviewing the podcast and leaving your name and Hogwarts house. And you'll also get a special shout out on here for next episode. You need to read chapters 18 and 19, and I will see you guys next time. First years is a production of matchbook. It's produced by Quinn Parker and myself, Sarah Jones-Dittmeyer. All sources can be found in our show notes or on our website at authorsarahjonesdittmeyer.info forward slash first years podcast. That's Sarah with an H and Dittmeyer is spelled D-I-T-T-M-E-I-E-R. Please remember that staying a Harry Potter fan is the biggest form of revolt that you can have, and we are committed to continuing to make this fandom and this community safe and welcoming to everybody.